It's 834. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We do not go gently into the good weekend on our Friday program. Lots of ground to cover. Let's get started. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one. Does a Milwaukee County judge, circuit court judge, have blood on his hands? This is a story we talked about when it first happened. The the outrage just becomes even more aggravating. If you haven't followed the story, this involves an Oconomowoc man with a lengthy history of drunken driving who yesterday was charged with homicide and various other crimes in connection with a crash who killed a man from Canada when he stopped to help um, a motorist on I-94 in Delafield. Um, th- this goes back to nine ten on July 8th. According to the reports, what happened is you, you had a, a, a van that uh, had had a flat tire. And so um van carrying a bunch of kids has a flat tire on the freeway by Delafield. Van pulls over. It's got a flat tire. A, a guy pulls up behind them to help the people change the flat tire. Um, the defendant is somebody named Frank Schiller. According to the criminal complaint, Frank Schiller was loaded when he got behind the wheel following an argument with his parents and then crashed into the van. Crash occurred about 9 p.m. at night. According to the complaint, all four of the children that were in the van suffered um, injuries. 48-year-old man from Canada died after Schiller ran over him with his car. According to the complaint, the man had stopped to help the driver of the van change the flat tire. The complaint says Schiller's car struck the van traveling an estimated 70 to 80 miles an hour and hit it with such force that the van, which, by the way, contained four kids, flipped over and landed about 30 yards from where it was originally parked. What happened, apparently, is van has the flat tire, pulls over, side of the road, um, kids in the car. Guy sees what happens, the guy from Canada, he stops, he's helping them change the flat by the side of the road. Schiller, driving around, apparently, according to the complaint, loaded, decides he's driving 70 or 80 miles an hour, he's driving on the shoulder of the road, and slams into the the van and the man. Um, Let's see, the complaint says the car struck, traveling an estimated 70 to 80 miles an hour, van flips over, three of the four children inside the van, hey kids, we're fixing the flat, you sit right here, ages 4, 9, and 12, crawled out of it after the collision, but one, an 11-year-old, was trapped inside and had to be extracted by police. Prior to the crash, the complaint said Schiller's mother reported that he reported Schiller to police, saying he had driven away from her and her husband's summit home high following an argument with his father. She reportedly said she was concerned he would try to evade police. Her father, his father, said Schiller was loaded when he left and was walking funny and looked a bit tipsy. An officer said Schiller smelled strongly of intoxicants when the officer interviewed him at an area hospital. His blood alcohol content not immediately available. All right, so guy apparently driving drunk, high rate of speed, drives down the shoulder of the road, slams in, kills a man, injures other people. All right, well, well that's, that's bad enough. But the the details in this case get worse. Schiller was convicted of OWI, operating while intoxicated, in 2000 in Dodge County. 
and in 2005 and twice in 2008 in Waukesha County. So that's, that's convictions. That's four convictions. He is facing his fifth OWI charge in Milwaukee County. So he's out on bail, out on bail after four convictions for drunk driving. All right, here, here, so here's the deal. He gets, with this criminal record, he gets arrested again for drunk driving. He goes into the catch and release system that is the Milwaukee County Court. Fifth offense, drunk driving. Fifth offense, drunk driving. They release him. They release him on a signature bond. A signature bond means you do not have to post a dime. All you have to do is sign a piece of paper promising that if you commit other crimes or you flee or otherwise violate the terms and conditions of your release, that you will pay $2,500 in this case. That's what the bond was. Man, you want to talk about life being cheap in Milwaukee County. So the guy is released released on a signature bond on fifth offense drunk driving. All right, it if it is possible, it it gets worse. Since he was released on the $2500 signature bond, not having to post a dime, since he was released, he was charged with new crimes in Washington County, bail jumping and possession of drug paraphernalia and Waukesha County possession of narcotics. So you have a guy, four convictions for drunk driving, arrested earlier this year, released on a signature bond. While And as a condition of your bond, you agree that you are not going to commit other crimes. So while he is out on this ridiculous bail in the first place, he is charged with other crimes in both Washington and in Waukesha County. In those two cases, he posted cash bail of $500 and $1,000, and he's released. But but here's where it gets even more aggravating. His pretrial release terms in Milwaukee, so he's out on the signature bail, were never modified, despite notices to Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Pedro Colon of the violations. So you have the, in my opinion, ridiculous signature bond set in the first place that turns this guy loose out on the streets to get himself drunk and high and kill people right that's ridiculous in the first place but then while he's out on the bail he commits other crimes or he is charged at least with other crimes and at least according to the journal sentinel the the judge supervising the case is notified notified or at least sent notifications indicating that this guy who is out on the bail has committed other crimes. And here is then the even more dazzling detail. They don't do anything. They they don't move. Nobody moves to revoke the guy's bail in Milwaukee County. Nobody moves to, there's no effort to whistle him in and say, gee, maybe given the crimes that you have allegedly committed while you're out on bail, maybe what we need to do in order to I don't know, protect society from you. Maybe what we need to do is increase your bail. They do absolutely nothing, leaving him out on the street in a signature bail, signature bond in a position to get himself drunk or high or whatever he was and get behind the wheel of a car. Now, I don't know, and I don't believe the circuit court judge, Pedro Colon, was the one that set the bail in the first place. Typically, that's set by court commissioners 
who, uh, again, we, we've had some ridiculous bail decisions. But here's a situation where somebody who was a demonstrated time bomb, and, and by the way, he's driving car. I, that, that's going to be the other detail. I can't imagine he had a valid driver's license. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I, I'd be curious about should he have been behind the wheel in the first place. I do know that the law is essentially zero tolerance when you have a record like this with these multiple drunk driving convictions. You're not allowed to drink at all. So regardless of what his blood alcohol level comes back at, and my guess is it's either going to be high a high number for alcohol or there's going to be something else in, in his system. Um, regardless of that, you know, it's a zero tolerance thing. He's not supposed to be behind the wheel at all. So somebody is dead and children are hurt and public safety is endangered because, in my opinion at least, somebody who probably should not have been out on the street, period, but should not have definitely been out on the street on a $2,500 signature bond, who then went on to allegedly commit other crimes, continued to drive around. Now, in response to this, and there's one of the interesting things, um, you have a handful of state legislators who have now apparently decided that the Milwaukee County court system is so out of control and the judgment being exercised by court commissioners and judges is so appalling that you need to have the state step in. So there's apparently a, in response, I, I think, to this fatality, you've got a couple state lawmakers, including, interestingly enough, Fred Kessler, who, state representative from Milwaukee, who over the years, I mean, his nickname was Red Fred. He was the guy that, if you want to look at, like, anti-crime legislation, he's a guy that, going back over the years, has bottled up a lot of, in my opinion, really good anti-crime legislation. He's even apparently on board with this. The new law that they're proposing would essentially say in a felony case, circuit judges would be required to set bail in any felony case. Um, This felony case was, of course, set by a court commissioner, and um, that, that, of course, didn't work out. I don't have a problem with requiring circuit judges to set bail, but that doesn't go far enough. The idea that you would let somebody like this out on signature bond in the first place and not revoke him after he is accused of committing other crimes. And I don't know whether this is a fault of the judge or whether it's the fault of the pretrial services people, the probation department, or whether it's the fault of the DA for not aggressively pushing this once they find this guy's out on the street. And my guess is all the different parties have some blame. But somebody is dead because this man was allowed out on the streets to get himself drunk or high, loaded, as one of his family members describes, and get behind the wheel of a car. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. It is almost impossible to defeat circuit court judges. Once you, Nobody runs against judges. Once you get elected, unless you really, really screw up, you are pretty much there for life. But how many of these decisions do we have to put up with before we end up saying enough is enough. I think a law that says, all right, you have to have a circuit judge set bail in a felony case is a good idea. There's at least a little bit more accountability. But if, if the circuit judge 
is going to release people like this on, on, on signature bonds anyways, you're really not going to solve the problem. You're just going to kick it down the road a little bit. 414-799-1620. We have to, this law that they are proposing, in my opinion, doesn't go far enough. There needs to be at least, there, you should not let people like this out on signature bail bonds, period. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is appalling to me that something like this could happen. And the problem is, it's not just this man who lost his life. It's not just the kids who got hurt. But all of us are in danger from this catch-and-release system. This guy should not have been out on the streets. We discuss next. It's 847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 850, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I'm sorry if I sound aggravated on a Friday morning. I, I am. This is the type of stuff that goes on on a daily basis in Milwaukee County Circuit Courts. Fortunately, it doesn't always have these ty- tragic sort of consequences. But the reality is a man is dead because somebody who shouldn't have been out on bail in the first place and who certainly should have been revoked after he continued to commit crimes while out on bail was in a position to get himself loaded and get behind the wheel of a car and go driving at 80 miles an hour down the shoulder of a road the other day. Linda in Oak Creek. Linda, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I listen to you regularly. I've talked to you before. I'm kind of closely related to this case. This is my cousin's son that was changing the flat. Oh. And he couldn't get the lug nuts off. And this gentleman was kind enough to stop to try to lend him a hand. And for that action, that that we need more people like that on this planet that are willing to lend a hand to someone who's down and out on a Saturday night just trying to get his kids home from an annual pig roast out in Johnson Creek that we all have a good time. And this man paid with his life for doing something we all should do more of. It's not just the people involved in the accident that are affected. Everyone that was at that pig roast, everyone that knows my cousin Denise and her family and those beautiful children, we're all, our guts are rent because of this man. How could he have the right to try to pass on the right? Did he even know what he was doing? I mean, it, it just makes my blood boil. Well, it, 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 now, uh, let me ask you this. How, how are the kids doing? Because, and, and see, and that, that, look, there, there's no silver lining in this dark cloud, Linda. But, I mean, he slams into that the vehicle at 70 or 80 miles an hour. The van is thrown like 30 feet, and it flips. Um, it, it's really, it's almost a mir- it's a miracle that those kids that were in the van didn't we suffer more serious injuries. Everyone was seatbelted, and that saved their lives. And, you know, that could have been my cousin's son that was killed. For some reason, he's still on this planet. He's got... The Lord's got something for him to do here, I believe that, but the kids, uh, they're all traumatized, and uh, uh, one child that was hurt the worst, he's got like a severed vertebrae, uh, bruised kidney and liver, and a punctured lung, and he's going to have to wear a brace for six to eight weeks this whole summer because of the back issue that might affect his whole life. The rest of his days, you know. And, and it's a horrible story in any circumstance. But then you, when you find out what this guy's criminal record was <laughs> and, uh, and the, the lengthy history of drunk driving and awaiting trial. Ever let out? How was he ever let out to do it again and again and again? When are we ever going to learn these guys 
They shouldn't be allowed to drive. They shouldn't be allowed to walk the streets with a signature. Come on. You're 2500 I promised to pay $2,500. And even if that was a valid thing in the first place, he commits crimes while he's out on bail, and nobody bothers to say, well, maybe we should whistle him in and revoke it. This this was a foreseeable sort of thing, Linda. Maybe not the, the particular time of night, but this guy was a time bomb. And mm-hmm. the court system turned him loose to wreak havoc. And, um, you know, your, your your family and friends, and in this case, the Good Samaritan, were, were, bore the brunt of it. Yeah, it's just it's horrible. we got to do something about this drunk driving in Wisconsin. Wisconsin's got a, a mentality of drinking and party and have a good time with all our sports and stuff in our summer. And But come on, we got to do it responsibly. It's a shame. It's a Right. It's just a black flag on our state. It really is. Linda, thank, thank, thanks for sharing. And, I, and again, I, and I, my, my condolences to, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry this injury was sustained. And this isn't even, see, to me this is a larger question than are, are we soft on drunk driving. This is you have somebody who has been identified as a time bomb, who has a lengthy record of this, who, if you look at any of the facts, look, the guy clearly had various substance abuse problems and issues. And shouldn't. And again, I'm kind of curious if, given his record, he even had a valid driver's license. You know, what's he doing behind the wheel of a car in, in the first place? But at, at this point in time, you know, once you have this type of record, you get caught doing what he was caught doing to simply send him back out on the streets wash your hands of this, and then apparently, and again, I don't know, I, I suspect that there's all sorts of blame to go around. I mean, did the DA's office try to revoke him? Did the pretrial services people do? I mean, the Journal Sentinel is reporting that the judge was notified of these pri- of these subsequent arrests after the ridiculous bond in the first place. Um, was it a complete and total failure of the system? I, I, I don't know. I don't care. But, yes, it was a failure, and somebody is dead, and, you know, Linda's relatives, the, the kids are it, – it is – it's nothing short of a miracle that it's just one person dead, and I understand how tragic that is. But you slam into a van that's pulled by the side of the road. The dad is outside saying to the kids, hey, stay in the – got to change the tire. Kids, you stay in the car. He's apparently – and her story is he's trying to change the lug nuts. He's having trouble getting them off. This man stops to help out. The man ends up dead. The van gets slammed into. Kids end up getting hurt. I mean, really? At some point in time, don't we have to say enough is enough? And my answer would be yes. I'm sorry. Lots of people want to weigh in on this, but I don't know what more there is to say about it. Um, the judge who allowed him out on the bail was Pedro Colon. I don't believe that's who set the ridiculous bail in the first place. Um, but no, nobody in the system, nobody in the system is going to be accountable. Nobody's going to answer questions as to why they did this or why they thought it was appropriate. And a man is dead and there's blood on people's hands, period. All right, um, we're going to switch gears coming up. Big story number two involves New England's Patriots coach Bill Belichick and some controversy that he has created. He was caught, not caught, he was seen wearing a shirt. If you want to see the design that was on the shirt in advance of us talking about it, if you text the word SHIRT, S-H-I-R-T, SHIRT, to 414-799-1620, we will send you a picture of the a picture of the design that was on the shirt that you can see, and then we're going to discuss it coming up in a few minutes. So the word shirt, S-H-I-R-T, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and we will send it to you. It's 857. This is Jeff Wagner. 
It's 909. This is Jeff Wagner. Okay, if you want to see the design that we're going to be talking about in just a second, you can text the word SHIRT, S-H-I-R-T, SHIRT, to 414-799-1620, and we will, we will send you the link. Bill Belichick is the head coach of the New England Patriots. He is a very, very controversial figure. He's a crusty, kind of curmudgeon sort of a guy. Um, if you're a Packers fan, you hate the Patriots, but you can't argue with success. He's been just incredibly successful. He has a he has a model of doing business in the NFL that I don't think anybody else has. Nobody else has been able to duplicate it. But again, you, you cannot argue with success. So anyhow, this is the period of time. All the mini camps and stuff are over. You're waiting for the start of training camp, so people are out and about. All right, Bill Belichick, who who marches to his his own drummer, he, he's out yesterday, and of course people recognize him. And this woman takes just takes a picture of, of him. He, you know, he's out on the streets. Okay, no no big deal, nothing like that. Um, so she takes this picture and then posts it um, on various social media sites. The problem, or at least the issue, is the t-shirt that he is wearing. Now, there, there's a, you perhaps have seen it, there's a Boston-based company that, that sells these t-shirts, they're, 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 life is good, that's their slogan, you know, life life is good. This t-shirt is a bit of a, of a parody on that. It is produced by a current Los Angeles uh, deputy sheriff who, who's a former Navy SEAL. And there's this website called TridentK9.org that sells police and military dog equipment, and it also sells shirts. And this is, Belichick is wearing one of the T-shirts that is available from this particular outfit. Belichick is also extremely well-known as being very, very pro-military. So, and and he's done a lot of stuff for the troops, and he's done a lot of stuff for the uh, again for for law enforcement in general. All right, so he's wearing this T-shirt. Now the T-shirt is is a cartoon, and again it's sort of a parody of this Life Is Good company. The T-shirt um, it shows a cartoon drawing of what is a Navy SEAL carrying a machine gun. Um, that's on the right side of it. On the left side of it, there is a terrorist um, guy in a turban with a beard carrying a gun. And, again, it's a cartoon. So it's where he has eyes. They have X's, which, you know, is what the cartoon thing is for somebody's dead. And there's also a cartoon image of a dog that is gnawing on the left arm of the terrorist. Okay, so that, that, and then it says, the caption says, life is great. Okay, so that that's what out that's out there. I mean, the way that this shirt is described is it tells a cartoon story of a deployment in Afghanistan where SEAL operators are chasing bad guys. The website suggests wearing the shirt to celebrate the end of Osama bin Laden. So anyhow, Belichick, he's wearing this shirt, and he gets photographed taking a picture. Um, the you know woman puts it up on social media. And all of a sudden, social media explodes. And there are some people very, very supportive of this. Hey, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, this is great. You know, he's supporting the troops. He's supporting the mission against terrorism. There are other people, as you might expect, who are incredibly appalled and offended. 
oh, this is terrible. Look at what Bill Belichick is doing. He's flanning, fanning the flames of racial hatred. You know, here you have some, a dog that's gnawing on a, a dead now, the depiction is terrorist, but it's, you know, it's, it's somebody wearing a turban and a beard. This is just absolutely awful. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. This is the latest controversy. And, again, I, I've tried to describe the T-shirt as best I can. It's a cartoon thing. It's not like it's a photograph of a dead body, but it's a cartoon thing. It is produced um, sort of as a tribute to the Navy SEALs, and it does show, again, it celebrates, it is clearly designed to celebrate um, the death of a terrorist. But in depicting the terrorist, some people are saying, well, you're not depicting a terrorist, you're depicting somebody of, um, you know, of, of particular descent. This is, this is terrible. You should be appalled. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just not politically correct enough. But I'm not appalled by this. And when it comes to the war on terrorism, um, I, I don't think that we have anything to apologize for. And in this particular cartoon fashion, if some people look at it and they don't get what this shirt is all about, that's their problem. It's not Bill Belichick's problem. And as much as it pains me to stand up and defend the head coach of the New Orleans of the uh, New England Patriots, I, I look at this T-shirt and I say, I'm sorry. Um, again, if you're upset about this, Wagner's rule of life number one comes in. Life is tough. Get a helmet. All right. Should Bill Belichick be ridiculed for wearing this particular shirt? Is this shirt offensive? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 915. This is Big Story Number 2. Stick around. It's 917. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Which is more important to you, personal platform or party affiliation? One high-profile TV host, that would be Joe Scarborough, is abandoning one for the other. But would you get the details and discuss with Scafidi and Bill Stead at 1235 today as they broadcast live from Bastille Days? All right, so Wednesday morning, Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England Patriots, he's vacationing in Nantucket. Um, he's wearing this T-shirt that um, it, it's a cart- it's cartoon images, and it shows... A uh, Navy SEAL with a machine gun and a dog, and it shows a dead terrorist. Um, the, the terrorist is somebody wearing a turban with a, a beard. Um, some people are offended and appalled by this. Let's start with Mike and Nina. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? Well, I'm not offended so uh, easily. I had a beard. I grew up for a, a year length, um, which is mid down to my chest. Um, it was turning gray. I got called names, but you got to have a strong constitute, you know, your strong will. Um, I eventually shaved it off just because, you know, peer pressure and not only it, it I used to eat it when I was eating lunch. Yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> That's the problem you have, right, with the long beards. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, you, you know, I don't feel um, any negative vibe uh, from his shirt. Uh, I grew up in Southern California. I moved out here. Uh, in 2003, and uh, I'm a Hispanic American, you might say, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I you just gotta 
deal with the consequences, I guess, or your actions. Growing a beard doesn't mean you're a terrorist. Well, no, and, uh, no, it, it doesn't. No, Mike, thanks. No, it, it doesn't mean you're a terrorist. And actually, see, this is, if you look at the picture on the shirt, um, the, the guy, this isn't some, the, the guy is carrying a machine gun. <laughs> okay, that's, that, this is, I, I mean, I, I can understand maybe people, if you don't know the history behind this, wouldn't necessarily know what it's depicted here. But this is the, the, the man that is depicted as being dead with the turban and the, the beard. Um, that's, he's carrying a machine gun. <laughs> okay. So this isn't like, you know, you're, you're showing some Navy SEAL killing. And again, it's a cartoon thing, but it's not like they're showing them killing some innocent type of person that the guy's carrying a machine gun. And for people who at least know about this now, now maybe you're offended. And you think that this glorifies the, the you know, killing of terrorists. Well, okay. If that's how you feel fine, you know, I, I respect that particular position, but I'm not with you on this one. I'm just, I'm just not. And for people who are offended by this, I'm sorry. I'm glad Osama bin Laden is dead. I, I, I am. I, I'm glad when the Navy SEALs and the K-9 unit, I'm glad when they go out and they catch and they kill terrorists. Maybe that makes me a horrible person. But you know what? These people are trying to kill us. And I, I have absolutely no sympathy. Um, let's see. On our text line, uh, Carol says, the dog is a canine, and those dogs save many lives, both Navy SEALs and our police here at home. Yes, we need to support our boys and girls that put the lives on the line to keep us safer. Beth says, I want one. <laughs> I want one. This is not a peaceful person. He has a machine gun. Great shirt, even if Belichick's wearing it. 414-799-1620. Jacob in Brookfield. Jacob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jacob. Um, so I 100%, I'm 100% behind the military, and I understand the shirt. I get it. I don't have a problem with it, but I want to make the comparison. If this was a thing during World War II, same situation, but substitute the terrorist with some guy wearing lederhosen would that have been okay carrying a machine gun if he's carrying a machine gun yes and i don't think any, <laughs> i mean i, I mean because because he's carrying a machine gun <laughs> you know, that 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 to me kind of so that's that to me is one of kind of the, the defining things look and i mean i understand you know, jacob that uh, all right, I, Belichick's controversial, and I understand some people are going to be offended. But you know, my my guess is Bel- Bill Belichick doesn't give a rat's behind <laughs> as to whether somebody's bothered by this or not. That would be my guess. Right, I just I just understand that there are people that are yeah. offended, and I understand that part. If you're going to wear the shirt, then you just need to back it up, and you need to understand that people are going to be. Yeah. So no, no, yeah. that's fine, right. I mean, because well, we we live in a society nowadays where everybody is going to be offended by by everything, and that's. That, that is like one of the keys. And actually, if you have a chance, like I say, I've got links to the story and what the shirt looks like and what the design is. Um, and you can text us the word shirt and I'll send it to you. We'll send it to you. But, I mean, it's it's clearly a, a terrorist um, because he's carrying a machine gun. So I, I don't think you can argue that this is just a Navy SEAL and a dog that's attacking, you know, some innocent civilian. He's carrying a machine gun. So and, and then, of course, they've, they've got the thing. Life is great. Now, I it's a little bit obscure because, candidly, I didn't know about this company. I didn't know about these shirts till I saw the, the story. Actually, the guy that produces the shirts didn't know how Bill Belichick got them. But he said, well, I, I think this is great. And my guess is the sales of these shirts are going to go through the roof. That's what my guess is. Rich in West Allis. Rich, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Thanks hey, for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I was telling the screener, I, uh, nowadays, if you were, were watching TV and there's a bad guy on a show, 
they're not going to usually show. They're not going to show these days uh, somebody of color, mm-hmm. a black person. Uh, you know, they're going to show somebody like a long-haired white guy. Uh, there's a sensitivity thing. That's what I was trying mm-hmm. to say to the uh, screener. I, I don't look like that person on that T-shirt, but there are people that look like that that are sensitive to that. And I think, I, I mean, I love our freedom here in this country, but I think we also need to have a little bit of compassion. And and just as you see or you don't see on TV now anymore, unless you're watching a me TV where it's a 70s show, the bad guy's not a black guy. It's a white guy, long hair. And I don't think that this guy... I mean, I think this is in the same vein. I think there's people out there that look like this person on this T-shirt. I haven't seen it, but they're offended. And we all need to be sensitive to that. All Americans need to be sensitive, including the man wearing the shirt. If you want to, you know, if you want to talk about uh, the guy's carrying a machine gun, or you want to make the guy's carrying a machine gun, put a face on it. The guy's carrying a machine gun. <laughs> sorry, I mean, thanks, thanks, but sorry. I, I, I look. I understand. We live in this PC world, and you don't want people to be offended. And I mean, remember the Showtime show Homeland, which was depicting you know the war on terrorism and things like that. They were getting all sorts of of heat because you know the the bad guys in that case were what the bad guys are. I mean, it was that same ethnicity. And so they were getting all sorts of heat. And, and you're right, Rich, that there's all these pressures being brought about. Hey, we can't, you know, we, we can't depict, you know, bad guys being this ethnicity or that ethnicity because some people are going to get offended. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. The reality is when you look at the war on terrorism, when you look at the people who belong to al-Qaeda, there, there is a certain ethnicity. And I'm not saying that everybody who has that ethnicity is a terrorist, of course. But in this particular case, the, the guy, it's OK, it's he's carrying a machine gun. All right. So that to me distinguishes somebody from somebody who's carrying, I, I don't know, a basket of fruit or whatever. He's carrying a machine gun. It's clearly I mean, depicting what our Navy SEALs are doing and the fight in Afghanistan, and some people might not get it, and some people might be offended even if they do get it. I just don't happen to be one of them. And if it makes me a bad person or somebody who's just not PC enough, I'll live with that. And this will probably be the first, and I think it is the first time in 20-plus years on the radio, and it'll probably be the last time that you will hear me defending Bill Belichick. But I don't think Belichick did anything wrong. It's 926. This is Jeff Wagner. Big story number three is coming up. To the surprise of no one, the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission caves in. What are the consequences going to be? Stick around. Nine thirty-four. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Dan from Wauwatosa is the winner of uh, the Roger Waters tickets for today. Keep listening each day next week. I will have a pair of tickets to give away sometime between eight thirty and noon. The seventy-one game race to the finish for the Brewers starts tonight with a series against the lowly Phillies. What does Craig Council think about his team's chances come October? Greg Matzik dives in tonight on Sports Central at six fifteen. You know, it's interesting. I, um, in preparation for the show, I, I, you know, I, I look at a lot of different newspapers or things on the internet and it's uh, nobody believes in the brewers there, there's just the, the general consensus is that the brewers are going to crumble and i i understand 
where you might have thought of that, why people might have thought of that 20, 30, 40 games ago. But after you know 90 or so games, you start to have a, a pretty good indication of where the team is. And I, I, I don't know, may, maybe they will fall apart. But I think all these people who aren't giving them any chances, really, um, I think they might be in for a rude awakening. It is important. I mean, I think you want to you want to see. I think it's important to come out for the next couple weeks and, and play well. But if they continue to play well, they've got a five and a half game lead at some point in time. I'm a do the math guy, and you know we'll we'll break down where they stand once it becomes appropriate. But here you are, you know, midway through July, and um, more than halfway through the season, and the team is doing well. It's just a fun time to be a Brewers fan. I hope lots of people go out. This is a big weekend. You've got the '82 championship AL championship team in for a big reunion. Paul Molitor give, jersey giveaway. Um, the Brewers, uh, the replica of the championship ring that's being given away, and just. More importantly, it's just good baseball. So I mean, I'm hoping I'm hoping all three games this weekend are a sellout because they are sellouts because after that the Brewers go on the road for about ten days, so you won't have a chance to see them. All right, big story number three. This is disappointing, but it is perhaps also predictable. The let me back into the story. The federal government has various laws and regulations requiring. Cooperate. They've got federal laws on immigration, all right? And those federal laws, in many cases, depend on cooperation from local governments. If you have, I don't know, somebody who is in this country illegally, who is arrested for a crime, well, the, the immigration folks aren't going to know about it unless the authorities notify them. And then what will typically happen is, let's say you're an immigration official, you get a notification that X person who's in this country illegally or who is believed to be in this country illegally has been arrested for murder. What they do is they go and they place what is called a detainer on them. And what the the phrase detainer means is that before the person is released from jail or released on bail or whatever, if he makes bail... The authorities will then, local authorities, will notify the feds and give the feds a reasonable period of time to go, the immigration people, to come and, and go arrest them. Because the concern is, if you've got somebody that's illegally in this country, they're charged with a serious crime, you release them. And, of course, we're talking now, if we want to talk about Milwaukee County, where you've got the catch and release system, there's a very good chance that that person is just going to disappear. So the idea is hold them, detain them, so federal authorities can come and, and get them. There are a number of cities and counties and communities across the country who have decided that they want to side with the illegal alien movement as opposed to siding with public safety. And so they've declared themselves to be sanctuary cities. That varies from what that means is kind of up in the air. And, and one place might say it's a sanctuary city, and that means something different than somebody somebody else. But essentially it means we are not going to cooperate with federal officials. Don't don't worry. You know, if you get stopped by local police and it turns out that you're here illegally, they're not going to share the information with the federal authorities. We will be a sanctuary. Now, why in God's green earth anybody would think that that is a good policy is beyond me. It, it just it really is. Somebody in this country illegally who commits, for example, a serious crime. You you, you don't. You don't want to tell immigration officials that he or she has committed a serious crime? Really? I mean, we anybody out here, can I say a show of hands, that think that that's a good idea? But there are people that, that do that. There are some places that also say they're sanctuary cities or sanctuary counties, 
and they're, they're really not. For example, Milwaukee County, the Clown Car Act that is the county board, passed this manifesto a couple months ago declaring themselves to be a sanctuary county. We're not going to cooperate. We're not going to do this. Well, even though that's what the county board has said, that's not how the county operates. <laughs> uh, the, the, as long as David Clark is sheriff, He's going to enforce laws, and he's going to cooperate to keep dangerous people off the street. And so there's a letter actually from the attorney that represents the county to the federal government that says, well, um, regardless of what the county board might say in its manifesto, pay no attention. We don't, we don't, that's not how we operate here. We, we follow the law. That is important because under the Trump administration, what they have started doing is they've started using the power of the purse – to bring counties and cities in line. What they are saying, and they've been saying is, here's the deal. If you don't want to cooperate with us, fine. But what we're going to do is we are then going to stop giving you federal money to help with your law enforcement efforts. It's like what the example I always give. It's like what they do with drunk driving. The drinking age is set by each individual state. So if Wisconsin wanted to roll the drinking age back to 18 or 19, it could do it. But the federal government says, if you do that, you're not going to get any federal highway dollars. So... So they don't, because you don't want to give up the federal highway dollars. This is the same thing. The federal government is saying, you know, if you don't, if you want to be a sanctuary city and you don't want to cooperate with us with regard to immigration, fine, but you're not going to get federal money, in this case, for law enforcement. If you don't care about, if you don't care that, you know, people who might be potentially dangerous are going to be turned back on your, out on the streets, fine, you get to do that, but then you're not going to get money. So what happened in Milwaukee is the, the attorneys – City attorneys were looking at this, and they became concerned that the Milwaukee policy was in violation or in contravention of federal law. And so they, they, they changed the policy to, to make – now, they say it's really not a change in the way we're doing business, but they changed the language of the policy to make it clear that they were going to be complying with federal law. Well – as you might expect, again, the, the groups that believe in open borders and we shouldn't be deporting anybody and how dare you try to enforce immigration laws became outraged, went after Tom Barrett, calling it a betrayal, went after the Fire and Police Commission, and about 100 people, which actually by protest standards isn't that much, showed up to complain at the um, Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission, and the commissioners essentially backed down yesterday, and they made more changes to the policy. Now, here's what they here's what has become controversial. Um, one of the things that they said is that they, they put this in writing. Officers shall inform federal immigration officials of the whereabouts or behaviors of any suspected illegal immigrant when that person is arrested for a felony or other serious crimes such as those involving terrorism or street gangs, right? So the policy says we arrest somebody that we've arrested them for a felony or some other serious crime like terrorism or involvement in street gangs, and we suspect the person is here illegally. The Milwaukee police shall inform federal immigration authorities. Okay, can I see a show of hands? Is there anybody? anybody outside the real bubble of political correctness that thinks that that's a bad idea all right you you arrest somebody that you believe for okay homicide 
or for shooting up the streets or for gang activity or whatever, and you suspect that person is in the country illegally, is there anybody in their right mind that thinks that that's something that federal immigration officials have, shouldn't be called in on? Hey, we just arrested this guy, Hondo, and as part of a drive-by shooting. Um, his social security number that he gives us doesn't appear to match up with anything. We can't verify what he's doing in this country. Hey, federal immigration officials, you might want to take a look at this. Is there anybody in their right mind that would think that that isn't a good, reasonable thing to do? Well, the answer is yes. And and part of it is these, again, pro-illegal alien groups that are out there. And part of it is apparently the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission that caved in to pressure. So they've altered the policy. Instead of saying that the police shall inform federal immigration officials, it will now say they um, shall use discretion consistent with federal law. Okay, what, what? What do you mean discretion? You arrest somebody for a serious crime. You have reason to believe that they're not in this country. What is the discretion that should be used consistent with federal law? Of course, you should inform the federal authorities. But, but of course, in the city of Milwaukee, obsessed with political correctness and putting political correctness above public safety, yet again, we do this. One of the other changes that apparently they're rolling back is that. There used to be a directive that officers were not to question any person about his or her immigration status unless they met a narrow set of criteria. This opened up the door to allow them to, again, raise certain questions. And apparently that directive has now been kind of watered down as well. Well, okay, I'm, you, you, you come into contact with somebody, you've stopped them for drunk driving, all right? And, you know, you're, you're getting identifying information. And after one or two questions, it becomes apparent that something is up, that, you know, that the person, what, whatever, doesn't have, it just doesn't sound right. You know, that maybe the Social Security number seems bogus. Maybe they don't have a Social Security number. What, whatever. Maybe the address seems where maybe, you know, birth dates don't match up on identification. Whatever it is, you know, and officers believe, and officers, generally speaking, have pretty good intuition. So you've made this traffic stop. You're talking to somebody, and you have at least a reasonable belief that the person is in this country illegally. Well, okay, I don't know about you, but I don't have a problem with the cops asking a couple other questions to determine whether that is in fact the case. And if they determine that the person is here illegally, yeah, what's wrong with notifying the federal authorities and letting the federal authorities do their thing? I'm not saying everybody in those circumstances has to be deported or whatever, but but don't we want local police cooperating with authorities? Don't we want them trying to do things that keep us safe? And for some of these some of these groups that have their own agendas that are out there and are trying to push and pursue these agendas, saying, okay, we don't want you asking questions. We just want you to be essentially stupid police officers. We, you know, you've known you come, you know, you've come across a situation where there's something going on. There's somebody in this country illegally. We just don't want you asking any questions. Just let that person go. And if that person three or four days later, I don't know, kills someone, well, okay, don't worry about it. We are willing to take that risk. Well, okay, maybe these groups are willing to take that risk, but I don't know that the general public is willing to take that risk. The Fire and Police Commission backing down again yesterday. Um, The group say officials weakening safeguards to immigrants 
by making it easier for the Milwaukee Police Department to work with federal immigration agents. That's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. That's not accurate. What it is, is these Milwaukee officials, it's not weakening safeguards for immigrants. It would be weakening the protections for people in this country illegally. And that is a huge difference. These guidelines would not affect people who were in the country legally at all. It only affects people who are in the country illegally who've come in contact with the police. And why a community like Milwaukee or any community wants to, I I don't know, stand up for the rights of people who are in this country illegally when they come into contact with the police or get arrested for serious crimes and put that over the interest of law-abiding citizens is absolutely beyond me. But that's what goes on in the People's Republic of Milwaukee. It's 948 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 951, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Wheel of Wisconsin tour rolls into Kenosha. The site of this week's heavy rain and substantial flooding, John McCure will be dry and live at the Village Supper Club, where he'll be joined by Kenosha Mayor John Antaramian at Antaramian. I think, at 3.20 during Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Tune in. Boy, the picture's coming out of Burlington, and Burlington is one of my favorite communities in southeastern Wisconsin. Um, the, the pictures of all the flooding going on there, really kind of staggering. And, of course, you've had people who've been without power for a couple days now, and what We Energies is saying is that they, they can't even, they got to wait for the water to recede before they can go in and start the process of trying to restore power, because if you've got stuff that's underwater, well, water and electricity generally a bad sort of thing. So um, don't know how long that's going to be, but uh, that flooding was absolutely just amazing. I can remember sitting here watching the, you know, watching that what they call training. You know, one storm after another, kind of like one train after another going past. Just absolutely, you know, unbelievable. So hopefully that water will recede sometime soon, and people down in Burlington can get back to some uh, sense of normalcy. Hey, and what we were just talking about, our text line absolutely exploded. Uh, Joel writes, "I've been thinking about this. If these cities and police are going to pick and choose which laws they're going to enforce, then I'm going to pick and choose which laws I'm going to obey. This is a joke. If you are here illegally and a criminal, why wouldn't?" we deport stupidity has hit an all-time high well there is a point to that andrew makes the same point by the logic of these cities if cities and counties can ignore laws that they disagree with why can't religious communities refuse to issue gay marriage licenses liberals always pull out that this is the law of the land aligned to force religious communities into submission well this is the law of the land and they need to comply too um yeah another one of our text patrick texts this is another case of a few affecting the man I'm all for the reporting. The Fire and Police Commission should reflect the community and not just the few. Yes, I, I and again, this is I, I appreciate that there are issues where reasonable people can disagree. I get it. I understand. But to me, if somebody is in this country illegally and they get arrested for a felony or they get arrested for a serious crime like terrorism, and I, I, I don't know how terrorism wouldn't be a felony, but regardless, who in their right mind would think that the local police, if they have reason to believe that this person has committed a felony and has been arrested, and they believe that the person is in this country illegally, who in their right mind wouldn't call up the, the federal authorities and say, hey, we, we have somebody who we think is in this country illegally that we believe just killed three people. 
So maybe you want to put a detainer on them in case one of our Milwaukee County judges lets the guy walk out on a signature bond because you know once he gets out on bond, he's going to be in the wind. Maybe you want to put a detainer on him. What rational person would think that that's not accurate? What rational person would think that if you have a Milwaukee police officer that comes into contact with someone and, okay, maybe you make a traffic stop or whatever, and you're not allowed to ask any questions at all trying to figure out the person's immigration status? So, you know, you stop somebody, you know it's hinky, and you just have to ignore it and pretend I'm going to let this guy go because we want to be politically correct. Honest to goodness. And yet, that is the way, apparently, we're going to be doing business in the city of Milwaukee for the foreseeable future. Hey, coming up in the next cup, in the next hour, a lot of interesting topics. A carjacking at Bayshore. Remember, Bayshore was the scene of that very high-profile carjacking in the middle of the afternoon a while back. You had the two women. Matter of fact, one of the women who was the victims called up the program. Um, well, carjackings are continuing. In this case, though, that the carjackers got more than they bargained for, and it raises one of these larger issues. Paul Ryan says that Russian meddling in our elections is unacceptable. He's absolutely right. But the question becomes, what are we going to do about it? And you've been hearing a lot of ads on this radio station and on other radio stations, perhaps, about prevailing wage. Well, we're going to wade into that issue as well. It is all coming up. Like I say, we do not go gently into the good weekend on this show. It's 9.56. This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. It's 10.08. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. If you are a homeowner, imagine that you have you've got a construction project. You want to build an addition onto the back of your house. So how are you going to go, assuming you can't do it yourself, You, how are you going to go about trying to decide what contractor you are going to use? Well, chances are you will call a couple different contractors, um, and you'll have them come over. You'll tell them what, project, what the project is that you want to do, uh, and then you'll discuss with them all the different things that go into this, and they will come together, and they will put together a, an estimate for you, and then you'll probably check out the different contractors and their references, and you will make a decision based on the quality of the job and the price that they are charging as to which contractor you you want to use. And it might be, um, it, you might be decide, well, okay, this one person has given me a lowball offer, but I I just I'm concerned about the quality of the work that they're going to do. But you are going to decide. You're not going to necessarily say, all right. I'm going to go with the highest offer or, you know, um, the guys that you're going to be using to do the carpentry work, I, I want to make sure you're paying them $43 an hour. You're, you're not going to do that. That's not how the real world works. You're going to make an assessment as to where do you get the best value, and you're not going to arbitrarily tie yourself into, uh, again, paying a certain amount. Well, gee, I can get this construction project done for 20000 but you know what? I'm going to pay you 25000 Nobody does that unless you are dealing with government projects. Um, They've been over the last month or so. There's been a number of ads running about prevailing wage. You know, call your legislators. The the state as either part of the budget or as a standalone. uh, The legislature is about ready to repeal what remains of Wisconsin's prevailing wage law. Wisconsin has had prevailing wage laws since the 1930s. This is another, it's a Depression-era 
thing that has been around for 80 years. What what it, this does, and this applies to um, construction projects now undertaken essentially by, by the state. Um, the way you fix, you figure out a prevailing wage is that every year, Wisconsin um, will, the state will survey construction contractors and they'll ask them, how much do you pay your employees? Um, and tell us about wages and, and benefits. And then what happens is imp- the, the people, the construction contractors, will submit this information. And then what the state does is it calculates by county what the hourly prevailing wage and benefits rates are for pri- for public construction projects. So they ask the private sector, what are you paying? And then they use that as a basis for saying, okay, this is this is the prevailing wage in Milwaukee County or in Ozaki County or whatever. And then the way the prevailing wage law works is if we, the taxpayers, want to undertake our road project, um, we have to, we being the taxpayers, has to pay the prevailing wage for the particular job. Carpenters get this much. Bricklayers get this much, whatever the project might be. Right. Well, here there's many problems with this. First of all, the way they calculate prevailing wage is just nuts because they send out these surveys to public to the private contractors the return rate is about 10%. You know only 10% of surveys are completed correctly and returned. So you're not really getting a handle on what is really being if 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 you're only getting 1 out of 10 contractors that are accurately responding to this you're you're not getting you really don't know what the prevailing wage is and what they've also found is that the people who do respond to this tend to be some of the higher payers so the way this is calculated arguably drastically inflates the amount of of money what the real prevailing wage is because, like I say, maybe a bunch of people that pay $20 an hour, that's the 10%, they're, they're submitting them. But people who pay $12 an hour or $14 an hour, they don't. The other problem is, because there's such a low return rate on this, it will vary dramatically from year to year. So, again, depending on who participates, you know, one year prevailing wage might be $43 because of who responded. The next year, for the exact same thing, it might be... I don't know, $20. It also results in several inequities, again, because of of the way it's calculated. Um, Maybe you have, I don't know, a contractor, one or two contractors in an area who's doing skilled work. They submit it, um, and they're $16 an hour. You have other contractors who are, again, providing unskilled work, and they pay their guys more. And because there's such a low response rate, you know, the, the unskilled workers are getting more than the skilled workers. But the underlying problem with prevailing wage is it's an arbitrary limitation on the free market. It says you have to pay contractors X amount of dollars, and it stops the government on these public projects from doing what we do in real life, which is in deciding who is going to get a job in deciding who's going to get that contract and that deal to build your addition. You know, what you do is you, again, it's what's the experience, what's the price, how much should we pay, what's the right 
price to pay. Prevailing wage prevents that. Prevailing wage says when it's taxpayer dollars on this big construction project, for example, you have to pay at least $43 an hour. Well, okay, what if you have a really good contractor who can do it for $30 an hour for whatever the service is? Why why shouldn't we as taxpayers hire the guy who's going to do the same job for 30 bucks as opposed to having to pay $43 for this? Um, there's a number of studies out there. Some people argue that the savings for prevailing wage by doing away with it wouldn't be as great as they otherwise would be. But, you know, there's a study I'm looking at right now that estimates just for one year alone in Wisconsin, by repealing prevailing wage laws, you could have saved taxpayers about $300 million on various um, building and heavy construction projects. Well, okay, that's a lot of money. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, you've heard the ads running on this station. That the people, essentially, it's the unions and some of the large union contractors that oppose rolling back the prevailing wage laws. They, they argue, they argue well, um, this is necessary. It's necessary to pay our people $40 an hour um, because you, you can't get quality if you pay less than that. Okay, that's part of the argument. The other argument is that um, we, we have a certain quality of life to maintain and that, you know, if, if it's less than 20 or 30 or $40 an hour or whatever the prevailing wage would be, um, you're, you're going to hurt the middle class. You're going to hurt the working people. All right, the flip side is in the real world, All right, you don't, when you're hiring people for that construction project, you want the best value you can get, however you define it. Should we repeal prevailing wage? 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's already been repealed for um, local governments. But this would apply to state governments. And when we look at all the different road work, I mean, yesterday I had Rob Hutton, the state representative who's introducing reforms to the Department of Transportation. Repeal of the prevailing wage law is a key part of this because a lot of people believe that we are artificially, we are paying more money than we need to for construction projects. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1017. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, that ad notwithstanding. Prevailing wage makes no sense to me. If I can, in real life, if I can hire a contractor to build my addition, and that contractor can provide quality workers and pay them $20 an hour, why in the world would I hire a contractor who's going to pay their workers $40 an hour to do essentially the same work? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Now, just because you repeal a prevailing wage law doesn't mean that you necessarily have to go to the lowest bidder. I'm not arguing that. But this artificial thing, all right, and then again, as we were talking about just a minute ago, the way they calculate prevailing wage makes absolutely no sense. All right, let's start with Joe and Appleton. Joe, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. I'm 100% in favor of repealing it, you know. All it's doing is it's taking those contractors that are willing and able to do the work at a lower cost out of the equation. Yep. And like you said, those they're not even bidding on or su- submitting the form because they know they're not going to get the work anyway. So I'm completely against it. Yeah, now the argument would be you can't get quality work 
if unless you're paying that that prevailing wage. But I just don't buy that. I just don't think that's how it operates in the real world. I don't either. And to, to play a flip side of this, I'm in the technology sector. My corporation bids on state opportunities all the time. We put out RFPs for it on a regular basis. And inevitably, it is 100% of the time the lowest bid that gets the job. Why wouldn't we do that as taxpayers? Why wouldn't we want to save the money? Well, yeah, exactly. Now, thanks for Again, I want to be real clear here. I'm not arguing for the, the lowest bidder. I, I, I'm not because there, there's always there, there's a value thing. If you're having your roof replaced, you're going to get a number of estimates. And my guess is um, estimates a lot of times will be all over the map. Somebody might charge twenty thousand or fourteen thousand. Somebody else might charge forty thousand. And you're kind of going, okay, it's the same project. Then, then of course you want to ask all those different questions, and ultimately you want to decide. You don't want to go with the fourteen thousand dollar guy who you just, you know, it's, it's going to be a fly by night type of operation. But at the same time, you're not automatically going to go with the forty thousand dollar guy either. You're going to again compare all these different types of things. But to artificial and especially the way they calculate prevailing wage. I mean, seriously. One out of ten, on average, surveys submitted correctly. So you don't know. It's not even like it's accurate. And what ends up jacking up the cost is some of the, the highest payers because it's in this incestuous system. If you pay a lot of money, all right, then you submit this. You know, you report what you're paying. Then that kind of guarantees when you're bidding on the contracts, the prevailing wage is going to be high. I'm just saying let the free market operate. Why should government bidding and hiring on contracts be different than what you would pay and how you would do it if you're replacing your roof or you're building an addition or you're repairing your driveway or whatever? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Pat in River West. Pat, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Um, well, your last your last uh, talker just kind of argued his point um, and then lost it on his own. Um, if they, he said they always do take the lowest bid. So if every company had to treat their their workers with a livable wage or a prevailing wage, livable wage, then they would all be in the same competition. And he just said the lowest wage, lowest bid always gets it. So he, he mm-hmm. if we, if as a community, if our my tax money is going towards like say the highway product, which we just found out costs usually twice as much as the uh, the original bid. The people at the top don't walk away losing money. They're all still multimillionaires in the construction world, but they 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 want the people at the very bottom. Maybe that guy is jealous that other people are going to get paid pretty well too. It's like he has to let go of his like, hey, why why is it Dumbo next to me? Well, but, but let's but, but let's back up a second, second Pat. Okay, let, let's 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 use the real world example. You're replacing your right. your driveway, and one company can do the job, and they they pay their people fifteen dollars an hour. Another company is paying their people twenty five dollars an hour, and the same. And for sake of argument, it's the same job that's going to get done. Are you really going to go with a company that's paying twenty five dollars an hour? Um. I've just done a re- renovation of my house, and you never go at the lowest bid. Well, I'm not arguing you go with the lowest, but you always go with right. the highest. Um, well, our government, our government seems to do that, and oh, well, that, and we, like I said, we, we go double. Our, we just heard the facts. Our highways cost you twice as amount that the companies. Yeah, yeah I, I understand. See, Pat, I'm not arguing. See, but I guess that you're. I look. I get it. Look, I. Th- this is you know. We're talking about, let's talk about road building. You're exactly right. I think the costs, the way we spend money on road building is uh, is ridiculous. 
There's no question about it. I'm a big proponent of let's reform the Department of Transportation. Let's bring this all in line. I think before you even start talking about increasing gas taxes or wheel taxes or whatever, you should make sure that we're operating in the most efficient way possible. I'm with you 100%. And I agree. You don't necessarily go with the lowest bidder because you might be getting shoddy work. But at the same time, the idea that you're going to artificially pay money, that you're going to pay more for a job than the job actually requires, that that's crazy. Nobody would do it. Yeah, I, I understand. In my example, you know, you wouldn't necessarily go with the guy that only pays his, his workers $15 an hour. But at the same time, does that automatically mean that you're going to go with the guy that pays the most money? No. You, you let the market take over, and you allow people to bid on these various jobs. Randy in Caledonia. Randy, you're on 620 TMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, uh, your example with the cement uh, job, I just had my driveway done last summer, and a friend of mine did it, and he had four or five finishers there, and I said, you know, hey, what do you pay these guys an hour to finish? He goes, doing your driveway right now, 26 bucks an hour. He said, if it's a government job, $54 an hour. Same guys. Same guys, same job, government, 54 your house, 26 <laughs> You got it. Plus, he said, if it's in the city of Racine, I have to hire a minority employee to go back and put the dirt and the grass seed around there to finish it up. I'd have to pay him $50 an hour right. to get the job. And so I called Robin Voss and asked him point blank. I said, Robin, just tell me one thing. How is prevailing wage good for the taxpayer? Right. I listened to him for 10 minutes and finally said, well, there's not going to be an answer to this discussion. So thanks, Robin. But yeah. never got an answer. Okay. Now, I'm really glad you called because to me, Randy, that's one of the keys for people to understand. It's it, – it, so you've got the same contract. The contractor is bidding private jobs and public jobs, same exact employees. The guy knows that if he charged $50 an hour to do your driveway, you wouldn't hire him because you could find all sorts of people to do it for less money. But on the public project, hey, the government says the taxpayers have to pay you $54 an hour. Same workers, same quality twice as much money. I can't think of a more compelling argument for repeal of prevailing wage than that. Exactly right. That's how I felt. No, thanks for I mean and that's and that's kind of how that's sort of how that this this operates. Exact and it's it's the game that the contractors play. And all I am saying is that you need to have a level playing field. There's lots of people that can't bid on these different things or choose not to bid on these different types of things. The way they calculate prevailing wage makes no sense at all. There's not much accuracy. Secondly, again, it ends up with the taxpayers having to, in many cases, pay a lot more for a project than you need to pay. It's time to repeal it. It's 1027, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of President Trump's golf courses playing host to the U.S. Women's Open Golf Tournament this weekend. There is a growing uproar over whether or not he'll make an appearance before it's over. How would you advise the president on this one? Scafidi and Billstadt want to hear from you, 207 today, as they broadcast live from Bastille Days. Okay, so Jane Matinier, I, I, I wanted a female perspective on this, so I, I asked you to stick around mm-hmm. during during the break. All right, here here is the story. Now, I understand that tattoos 
are are in fashion, and, and lots of people have them. This is the story of a guy. His name is Mark Crop, who decided that it would be a good idea while he was drunk a couple months ago to get a tattoo. Um, I'm going to try to describe the tattoo. If you've ever seen the, the movie Silence of the Lambs, there's the scene where they've got Hannibal Lecter that's wearing that big mask that's supposed to stop him from biting people. All right, this kind of looks like that. It It's the, the words, he's got the word, it's D-E-V-A-S-T-8, devastate, all right, tattooed, and it runs from one ear to the other. It starts, okay, so if you go from like earlobe to earlobe, um, going across across his nose, and then it goes all the way down his neck. It looks kind of like uh, like the old Western movies where you had the bad guys, the stagecoach robbers would kind of pull the scarfs up, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. they pull the scarf up to kind of like mm-hmm. conceal their face below their nose. Mm-hmm. But this this is the, the word devastate, D-E-V-A-S-T-8, in um that's tattooed on the guy's face. And did I mention, it, it, this isn't a henna tattoo. It's tattooed on his face. So it is not coming off. All right, so having done this, he now, he now he says that it's preventing him from finding a job because when he goes to interviews, well, um, potential workers are reluctant to hire him because of this face tattoo. So Jane Matinair... What do you think? Is this guy being discriminated against? Well, first of all, I thought it was my broker because they look so much alike. Um, <laughs> okay. I, but Bouncer, this is his only option. If, if you want a job now that you've tattooed this all over your face, I would say Bouncer is going to be your only career path. You know, see, sometimes there's things that people do that you could describe as seems like a good idea at the time. I swear, I, I don't know. <laughs> No, I, there's not enough homebrew in the world for me to drink that would think that this would be a good idea to tattoo this on, on your face. Are you surprised, perhaps, that he's having trouble getting jobs? Uh, no. Well, how about a job in a tattoo parlor? <laughs> yeah, well, well, he wasn't the one given the tattoos. He's the one that, that got it. Plus, it, it's on his face. I mean, literally, it, it's, it runs from earlobe to earlobe all across under the nose and then down on the neck. I... It must have hurt like you know what. Well, he obviously, again, there was some liquid courage involved there. But but as you said, two things that probably don't go together very well are intoxication and tattoos. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm sure it seemed like it. Okay, that, that's Jane Matinier's perspective. I want your perspective. Right. And, and here's actually the, the larger point, because this is an extreme situation. But the guy, I, I mean... The the best example I could give is, again, think Silence of the Lambs, think the Hannibal Lecter movie. That's what this this tattoo, it's sort of, that's what it kind of looks like, except it spells the word devastate, D-E-V-A-S-T-8. Okay, all right, which I guess is slang for obliterate now. But but he's saying he can't get a job because of, of these tattoos, and he claims that he's being unfairly discriminated against. Now, this is an extreme situation, but I know that there's a lot of people out there who perhaps... That you've got tattoos yourself, and you know you find yourself being perhaps mistreated. I, you know, you go in, you can't get a job because somebody's put off by the particular tattoo. Is this? Are we discriminating against people who've made this choice to have this body art? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, 
should employers, whether it's a guy like this that has these scary, creepy-looking tattoos, or, you know, employers, maybe it's it's less controversial. Maybe it's the arm sleeves. You know, maybe it's the big tattoos that are visible. Um, should employers be able to look past that when they're making hiring decisions? I'll tell you what I think, and we'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1040. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Some Republicans in Wisconsin want to break the budget impasse by imposing a tax on heavy trucks. Jeff Wagner thinks that's the wrong way to go. He explains in his show podcast on the WTMJ mobile app. Hi, this is Doug Russell, and it's finally summer, which means a lot of things, including getting your kids to the dentist so they don't have an excuse to miss school. I put off going to the dentist for years because when I was a kid, the dentist office meant scraping and drills and pain. But dentistry has changed, and my new dentist, Dr. James Michaels in Oconomowoc, is on the forefront of all of the newest and best technologies. I'm glad I found him. Dr. Michaels has turned what was once an unpleasant but necessary task into something that can actually be a relaxing experience. It starts the moment you walk in the door. You'll feel like you're in your own living room. And the staff, they're knowledgeable, passionate, and caring. Add it all up, and Dr. Michaels Dental Care in Oconomowoc is a place your whole family can go and feel comfortable while getting the best dentistry care possible by trusted professionals at the top of their field. Give Dr. Michael's office a call today at 262-567-7224 or go online to drmichaelsdentalcare.com. That's drmichaelsdentalcare.com. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We have a tour group in here. I was just showing them everything in the studios, and they're watching me play with my fidget spinner here. You know, that's, that's it. Yeah, it's got to have that. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, this is it's kind of a, a silly lead into the story, but it does raise this larger issue. If you're just tuning in, there's this guy who gets himself drunk, gets tattooed, giant tattoo on his face, and now he's complaining that, that employers can't hire him. Um, all right, is, is this man being discriminated against? And, and what about people who have, I mean, is there tattoo discrimination that's out there? What about people who have ones that are visible but aren't as visible as this? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Russ and Racine. Russ, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi there. Hi, Russ. Um, Amazon is hiring, and I've seen more ink there than office snacks. <laughs> Yeah, I well, they, they I mean, don't, they don't care if you show up, you got a job, right? Well, see, you know, and and the truth is nowadays, I, I don't want to say everybody, but lots of people have tattoos. I mean, I, I think in some respects it's a generational thing. Back if you were my age, you know, it wasn't it, tattoos weren't common necessarily unless you were in the military or something like that. But nowadays, it seems to me like, you know, half the people who are under the age of twenty five have tattoos. Sure. Yeah. All right. Now, what about the extreme tattoos, though? I mean, again, in this case, this guy, he's got it on his face and all. Do you think employers are justified in perhaps saying we're not going to hire you? For certain positions, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I would. Thanks. I, see, I would agree. To me, that that's the defining point. It's it's what what is the job that that's in what is the job that's involved? I mean, here you've got the guy. If now he's he, again, you've got other issues as well. If I were an employer. I would be questioning, before I hired somebody, it's not just necessarily a tattoo, but it would be the judgment that was exercised in getting the tattoo, you know, that kind of larger issue, like, explain to me why you thought this was a good idea. But, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, I think that there are some, there are some 
occupations where you know you you don't want to you don't want to scare the customers i don't know a better way to say it than that and so the idea is okay you know maybe maybe you know this this tattoo i don't want to hire you to be a waiter because i'm afraid you're going to freak out the customers all right that's something but if again if you're talking about hey we're going to put you in an amazon warehouse and you're going to be the one going around grabbing the shipping boxes who, who cares jeff in fox point jeff you're on 620 wtmj good morning Hey, Jeff, I saw a picture of the guy, and he looks like something out of a Mad Max movie. Yes, that's exactly right. That's a good description. Thank you. But I, I think it's perfectly acceptable for any employer, for any job, to um, not hire someone because he or she has a tattoo because that person made a conscious choice to get a tattoo, and he or she should have thought about the job issue yeah. when when getting the tattoo. Yeah, I mean, it's right. It's, it's the judgment that goes into it. Like, why did you... Why did you think that this was going to be a good idea? And let me get this straight. You got so drunk that, all right, now you're regretting this. But, I, gee, I, w- I was really drunk, and I thought it would be fun to get devastate uh, tattooed across my face. <laughs> yeah. Now, thanks for calling, Jeff. I'm, 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 I'm with you. The guy has actually gone onto social media. He's apparently po- – this is why this has gotten all the attention. He posts a selfie of himself um, appealing to somebody to give him a job. I'm keen as to work, but I have one thing that is stopping me, and that's the tattoo all over my face. To which I, I might be inclined to say, yeah, and you thought this was a good idea because why? Okay, hey, let's switch gears. Uh, Paul Ryan, and actually we, we were trying to arrange an interview with Paul Ryan. Um, he's he's kind of out of pocket today. We were trying to do something yesterday that we were going to pre-record and run this morning, but um, Paul was actually traveling most of the day yesterday. We left Washington, came back, and was touring the, the flood areas, um, which, of course, his congressional district, and that's completely and totally appropriate. But one of the things that I wanted to talk to him about was some comments that, that he made about this Russian meddling in the election. For a minute, just a minute, let's let's forget about the whole Trump thing. Let, let's forget about is there collusion. Let, let's, let's get away from the, the, the whole Trump aspect. I don't think there is any question at all that the Russians were trying to meddle in our elections and influence potentially the outcome. Now, at the same time, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I have no doubt that we, we meddle in elections all the time. I have no doubt that, you know, we, that, you know, in in various areas of interest, um, maybe not Russian elections, but in various areas, interest, South America, whatever, that, that perhaps the CIA plays a, a role in trying to influence outcomes to get people that we think might be more friendly to U.S. interests selected. I mean, I just I, I'm I'm positive that that goes on. So, I mean, I think this is the type of thing that probably happens. It doesn't mean, though, that it should be condoned. So anyhow, Paul Ryan is giving an interview two days ago, and, and he says that Russian meddling in the U.S. election is absolutely unacceptable. And I, I think he, he's correct. It's very important that um, the, he says that the, our investigators do their job so we can get to the bottom of all this. You know, he says, hey, let, let's figure out what it was that, that happened. He says, I'm not going to go into hypotheticals about the Trump thing, but, you know, we, we need to conduct a complete and total investigation. And I, I agree completely. I guess here's here's the question that I have about this, which is, and, and, the, and, and Paul is absolutely correct, Russian meddling in the U.S. is absolutely unacceptable. 
let us assume for the sake of argument that it happened because it did. The question to me then is now what? What do we do if you've got the foreign government that's trying to impact our elections moving forward? What do we do? Now, obviously, the, the one answer is, okay, we try to tighten our ability to you know, deal with cyber attacks and things like that. We try to tighten up the ability for you know, our, our different institutions who can get hacked into and the, the evidence can be released. Okay, that, that is the obvious one. But Russia isn't going to stop doing this. They're, they're just not. So the question becomes, you know, what do we do and how aggressive should we be in dealing with this? Donald Trump meets Vladimir Putin, and apparently the, from the conversation, he confronts Putin about this. Putin denies it. Putin is lying to Trump's face, in my opinion, and they push it for a little while, and then Trump says, okay, we're going to move on because apparently he found nothing to gain. You know, they, they weren't going anywhere. Putin wasn't going to acknowledge it. He, he wasn't going to concede on this, and so... You, you move on to something else that maybe you hope you can get something done. But but what do we do? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, do we go to war over this? Do we figure out a way to penalize Russia and perhaps Russian businesses? I mean, or do we just say, look, we do the same thing. We're just going to have to end up dealing with it. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here, Here is my answer to that, but I, I'd be curious as to what you say. I, I do think this is a big deal. And candidly, do, do I think you start bombing over this? Well, well no, you, you don't. But I, I do think that one of the things you have to do is start, uh, again, punishing People and if if there is Russian companies, Russian businesses, Russian businessmen that are part of this effort, then I'd be I'd be all in favor of expanding sanctions. I mean, let's let's stop. Let's prevent some of these Russian companies from doing business in the U.S. And let's definitely, to the extent that we can identify people who are promoting cyber attacks, you want to punish them. Um, you want to punish them aggressively. So, yeah, I, to me, you're not going to start bombing. But I do think it's something that if you're able, I think if we want to get people's attentions, attention, what you do is you hit them in the pocketbook. That's what I would do. What would you do? 414-799-1620. And I guess the answer can range from completely cut off diplomatic relations with Russia to, oh, do nothing. What do you think? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1053. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1056. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, one of our texters says, what did Russia actually do that was considered meddling? Well, I, I would say hacking into the Democratic National Committee headquarters databases getting damaging dirt and then releasing it i I would call that meddling in in our election i'm sure there's other examples as well but it primarily comes down to these cyber attacks now again i i I don't necessarily think the u.s is the moral high ground on this because again my guess is we quote unquote meddle and try to influence the outcome of elections all the time but that doesn't mean that we should turn a blind eye to it let's start with tom in greenbush tom you're at 620 btmj good morning Good morning. Thanks for talking to me. Sure. Um, my, what I think about this whole thing is that I think we realize it's going on, just like we realize everybody's out there speeding, and 
we have to set a line in the sand somewhere as to what we'll tolerate and what we'll let go. That's the only question. Right. So is this and where we want to draw the line? I don't know where the line should be drawn, you know, but that's for politicians or somebody else to decide. No, it should be higher than that. <laughs> what it is right now, it should be higher than that, but somewhere below assassinating the candidate. Well, yeah, right. I mean, I don't right. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, thank. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting in retaliation for this that you try to send a CIA hit team over and try to take out Vladimir Putin. I do think, I do think it's a, it, it is, it is a big deal. And again, part of my, part of the problem I have with this is that I, you know, you, you've got all these different investigations, and I understand it. You, you. You got to take. Let's, for the sake of argument, let's take the whole Trump thing out of it. And I understand for a lot of people that they just don't want to do that. But let's let, let let's forget whether there was collusion or not. I mean, let us assume that it is a fact that the Russians were trying to meddle around. That the, the Russians decided they liked Donald Trump better than they liked Hillary Clinton, and so what they did is they targeted. Let's do cyber attacks on the DNC and other people. Let's try to release con- evidence that might make Hillary Clinton look even worse. And she normally does, and then might influence the the election. So, I mean, I I agree that you got to do something. Um, to me, it's it's sanctions. You know, going after them economically to try to deter this. Steve and Mequon. Steve, you're on six twenty two TMJ. Good morning. Yeah, hi Jeff. I think this whole situation is maddening. I think in the twenty first century, uh, a cyber attack on our national sovereignty is a de facto act of war. And I think the fact that we're taking it so lightly and even potentially dismissing it is an abrogation of our. Uh, uh, of our so, so, what, so what would you do? Would you declare war against Russia over this? No, not at all. I think uh, we make it very clear uh, that we do consider this unacceptable, mm-hmm. right? And we take extremely punitive measures. And I think you said it correctly. Hit them in the financial. Uh, yeah, econo- that's right. Economic sanctions. A- any. Any comp I mean, you could start freezing. You could start freezing accounts. You could start start limiting the ability of certain companies, Russian companies, to do business in the United States. You could do things like that. Now there might be some repercussions, but it would at least show that we're serious about this, and that hey, if we catch you continuing to do it, do this, we're going to ratchet up the sanctions. No, thanks. Thanks. I mean, I guess that's that's where I look at. I, I do. I do think you have to do something. Um, and again, and I appreciate. Next time I have a chance to talk to Paul Ryan, I, that's one of the questions I want to ask him. Which is, yes, we all agree it's unacceptable. Where do we go from here? It's ten fifty nine. This is Jeff Wagner. It's eleven oh eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We can review with Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson coming up at about eleven thirty five. All right, before that, and credit where credit is due, there's a very interesting story in the Journal Sentinel today that highlights what has been, an, I think, a very, very undercovered story, a story running under the radar um, that many of you are familiar with, especially if you have kids who are in the UW system. For the last four years, tuition has been frozen. The legislature um, has gotten a lot of heat from this. People in the UW system very, very upset. But the legislature, at the behest of the governor, has decided, okay, look, what we want to do is we want to give Wisconsin students and taxpayers and families a break. So after years of spiraling tuition increases, we're going to put them on hold. 
We're, we're going to freeze them. And that's, that, is, that is good news. And I, I, I continue to believe that, you know, when you talk about value, like the education, the value of degree that you get from, you know, most if not all the schools in the UW system is just a great bargain. But tuition has been frozen. So you might think, and the Journal Sentinel story makes this point, you might think that education costs, if you've got a kid at UW, have been frozen. But no, that that's not the case. Because tuition is only one part of the equation. Um, story reports that University of Wisconsin students and their families, of course, also pay for room and board, at least for the first year, plus, in the case of UW-Madison, about $1,000 more a year towards student unions, recreation centers, organizations, and services. Um Add up other costs beyond tuition, not including books and miscellaneous expenses, and a year at UW-Madison or UW-Milwaukee this fall will cost 8% more than it did in the fall of 2013. Um, when tuitions from residents and undergraduates were first frozen. Costs have gone up 10% at both UW-Green Bay and UW-Eau Claire and 13% at UW-Stevens Point. The average for four-year campuses is up 8.5%, and that's because of these little-known mandatory student fees, which have been going up and up and up, along with room and board, um, so you've got the tuition freeze, and that's cool. But if you've got kids that are there, you're still paying more because we're, we're not reining in these fees for all sorts of things. They estimate that mandatory student fees add up to the equivalent of about 20% of a typical $30,000 student loan debt for a UW graduate. Room and board rates range from about 6200 to 9600 Um Increases... Platteville, 7.4%, um, 7.4% at, at Eau Claire, um, nothing at Platteville. Meal plans have been going up, and these fees that kids have to pay because, oh, we, we want to do this for the student loan, for the student union, or, you know, we want to offer, you know, mental health counseling or whatever, and we expect the kids to pay for it. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I recognize that... When it comes to certain things, rent has gone up. You know, I mean, if you are a renter, you you pay more probably now for the same apartment than you did for the same apartment four years ago. So I understand that there's always going to be some increases. I understand that the cost of meal plans, you know, typically, you know, go up as the cost of food increases or whatever. That's inflation, and I appreciate that. But for these other things, these student fees, these assessments that are made, it's one thing to freeze tuition, but are we really doing the kids a favor? Are we really doing families a favor when we say, okay, we're going to freeze tuition, but at the same time, we're not going to put limits on the way student fees can go up? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is a grossly undercovered story. I have been a big supporter of the freeze, again, in tuition over the last several years. But it is alarming to me to find out that, yeah, we really haven't been able to freeze college costs because in addition to inflation, you know, you've got these different fees that are being tacked on with no limitation on them. It seems to me 
that if we really wanted to give the taxpayers of the state uh, a break, and if we really wanted to give uh, the families that are sending kids to school uh, a break, what we would do is we would be freezing the fees as well as freezing the tuition. 414-799-1620, that is the Iconet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I, I, it, it's almost amazing to me that you could have these type of increases in fees at the same time you have a tuition freeze. And I guess I'd be particularly interested in talking to you if you have a kid in the UW system um, and you keep wondering why the bill keeps going up despite there being a tuition freeze well it's because there's no corresponding freeze on fees and candidly i think there should have been one and there should be one we discuss next if you're on the line please hold on it's 11:14. this is jeff wagner 620 wtmj It's 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Actually, the, 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 the story of the Journal Sentinel is, ap- is stunning. Since the tuition freeze began in 2013, mandatory fees at UWM have gone up 35%. 35%. Fees by students at U- required to be paid by students at UW Lacrosse have risen 35.4%. Um, other campuses have had smaller increases, ranging from seven and a half to twenty-six percent. But but this is—it's all money that's coming out of the pockets of the people who are sending their kids to school. And I mean, it really—it it just kind of shows how you can never get a handle, at least in my opinion, on spending by some of these out-of-control institutions. Ray in Fond du Lac. Ray, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, my daughter is going to be a senior at Lacrosse next year, and she has been a dorm girl her whole career. Right. And she's kind of blessed because mom and I have covered right. her tuition and her board and the meal plan. The meal plan went up again another ten percent going into her senior year to the point where my daughter's like. Don't even get it for me. I'll just cook my own food in my dorm. Right. Ten per, a 10% increase from year to year. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and all the fees just keep and, – and thank God my daughter's not a science major because the science fees have, like, tripled. Right. Uh, she has roommates that are science majors, and, and one of them's going to be a senior next year, and she's like – her fees for labs and stuff just keep going up and up and up, and it's like – you, you know they're gonna they're gonna make it so that even people like me who can do it for my daughter aren't going to be able to, and then everybody's going to have to take loans. Well, what you have to wonder, Ray, is whether or not this is just a way that some of these schools are end running the tuition fees. You know, I mean, with the idea that okay, we, we can't increase the tuition, so here's what th- we'll do: there's no limit on what we can do with our different fees. So let's jack up the meal plan ten percent. I really doubt the cost of food went up ten percent from one semester to the next. I just doubt that that happened. It, it didn't. Not only didn't go up, uh, but they actually changed some of the providers even. And their costs probably went down. I yeah. mean, they they literally switched restaurants that are available on the meal plan, took some off, and put other cheaper options on. So their costs probably went down, even though they're charging me ten percent more. Yeah. See, I mean, thanks. I mean, see, and that's that's where 
I, again, that's where I think the frustration that a lot of people have with this. You say, okay, and by the way, I, again, I applaud the governor. I applaud the legislature in making the decision to free tuition. Um, the, the skyrocketing tuition rates year after year, um, I, I think, certainly bear scrutiny. But at the same time, this just kind of shows how public entities work with the whole notion that, okay, we can't raise the tuition, so all right, that's fine. Let's figure out another way to get it. I mean, you see this in all sorts of ways. You see it you see it in Milwaukee County and the city of Milwaukee with the wheel tax. Okay, we're limited as to how what we can do with property tax increases. I have it. Let's stick on a wheel tax. We're gonna figure out other ways and Milwaukee's been doing this going back well, certainly to the time of John Norquist, the idea that, well, all right, we're not going to raise the property tax, but you've got a street light in front of your house. So we're going to put on a fee for the street light or, you know, whatever that would be. We're going to charge you for all these things. And then we're going to applaud ourselves. In this case, it's like, OK, we've got a tuition freeze, but all right, the, the fees are going through the roof. Um, you know, th- that's the effect. 414-799-1620 is the number. David in Beaver Dam. David, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi it David. is cause and effect. They have to raise money where they can. Insurance rates are going up out of the roof. they got to pay for All You say the money, the food rates can't be going up. They are going up. 10%? Yes. Well, the trucking industry is forcing everybody to go to electronic logs. They can't afford it. That's If you look into it, all these big companies are buying out other big companies. They have to double and triple the amount of trucks they have on the road because the drivers can't drive. They're forced to park with these electronic logs. Okay. It's unrealistic. It's costing the trucking companies almost double in cost to run because of these electronic logs. Well, I, I guess here, here's, the, here's the point. I, I don't want to get too far afield on, on costs of trucking and electronic logs. I, I, the, the idea, if these, these increases are not, we have not had 10% inflation over the course of the last couple of years. Um, the, these different increases and, and I think I'll go back to what you said at the beginning that I agree with that um, that they've got to look to where they can get money so it's all right we've frozen the tuition so now what we're going to do is we we can't change that so let's start jacking up the the fees and let's start you know charging more that way now again I I don't okay the last guy said okay 10 percent for the for the meal plan I'm sorry I just don't believe that the costs you know went up you know 10 percent with regard to that i think you know what you what you're seeing here is again a way like you were saying to get money um to get to raise money let's talk to nicole in milwaukee nicole you're on 620 tim j good morning hi hi yeah thanks for having me on um so i just had kind of a i guess a little different i'm not a parent um but i was in graduate school at uw madison for the last three years and um one thing that I kind of thought was a, just a different perspective or something else to consider is sure. why they can't cap it totally, you know, to stop um, bringing in more money. And one thing that I realized being employed by the university, um, and I'm also in the architecture and design industry, was that a lot of what they're doing to bring in um, new students, not just state students, but 
international and out of state students who pay much higher tuition right. is to beautify campuses, bring in professors that you know maybe cost a little more to draw that international student who pays a very high fee to come. Um, well, it's not so just can- that. Let's take it even broader. I mean, it's like all these new amenities. It's kind of like the. It's kind of like the hospital building that's going on now where, you know, everybody's got to build the newest, biggest, fanciest hospital. And I think you see that going on on some of the UW campuses. We've got to build we've got to build the the state of the art recreation facility or we've got to build the state of the art union. And we're going to throw money into that. And that's where I think some of the fees go too. definitely. Totally agree. Right. No. Th- yeah. And again, that, see, and that's the. I mean, that's that's kind of what's driving it. And I, look, I'm I'm not arguing that if you have antiquated facilities, they shouldn't be renovated. But this this is one of my beefs with hospitals. And you know, we talk about healthcare costs. Well, I mean, part of the healthcare costs go into building the biggest, brightest, newest, fanciest sweetest medical centers around and i understand the hospitals think they have to do that because you know people want those different amenities and maybe they do but you know there's a lot of our health care dollars aren't going into health care they're going into uh, again the, the fancy building and the beautified grounds and things like that and we're all you know we're all paying for it don in milwaukee don you're on 620 wtmj good morning morning thanks for taking my sure. call um it's not just the UW system. I graduated from MATC 2015, and just under a three-year program, I'm already almost $45,000 in debt. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah well. It's just under a three-year uh, you know, program, I mean, with the prerequisites and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah the interest rates alone kill you. Yeah, well, don't uh, and don't get me started on MATC. That's a whole other discussion. Is regarding regarding you know how much money they pay all their professors and things like that. How well, long do you think the career, the, the career I went into? Though I mean, uh, MATC is the only program in right. the state of Wisconsin, the only school that offers this program. How long do you think it's going to take you to dig out from under that student loan debt? I'm just curious. I'll be dead before I'm done. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, they, uh, that no, that I mean that that is that's the issue. That, that's the other issue that's out there as well. And again, I, I applaud the legislature and the governor for putting the freeze on tuition. I think it was long overdue. But at the same time, you know, um, I don't know when, you, when you're hitting the parents or you're hitting the, hitting the students, whether the money comes out of the left pocket or the right pocket in the form of tuition or escalating fees. And I, I appreciate stuff costs more. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I understand that, you know, costs would go up. But you look at, you know, some of these costs that have gone up way be- way above the rate of inflation, and you have to seriously wonder whether or not this has been a, been a, just been a backdoor way to make up for lost revenue um, from the tuition freeze. It's 11.26. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 11.28, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. If you can't make this weekend's Air and Water Show or you'll be lakeside and want a little play-by-play, then download the WTMJ mobile app. There you can hear exclusive interviews with the pilots and crew and hear a description of all the action. Now, see, if you're at the lakefront, I understand that would be cool. 
I think that would be a great thing if you're down there checking it out. Just download the WTMJ mobile app, and no matter where you are this weekend, you can enjoy the Air and Water Show with us. Matter of fact, I know a number of the organizers for the Air and Water Show. Um, it's, it's going to be, I think, just absolutely spectacular. So I would encourage you to you know, check that out if you get a chance. Okay, our text line just exploding on our conversation about uh, the, the fees at uh, UW. For example, a guy writes, uh, this is Joe, I have a daughter at Madison. Not only are there higher fees, but our kids still can't get classes they need for their majors. So they're forced to spend extra years there, which equates to a lot more money to get that education. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the commitments that needs to be made to students is that as long as you take, as long as you take a regular class load, that you know, UW makes that the, the UW system makes a guarantee that you can complete, you know, you can complete your education in four years, and I, I think that should be the compact. Now, obviously, if kids change majors, that's a different sort of story. But this idea that you know we're going to you're not going to be able to graduate in four years because you're going to need a couple classes and they're not going to be offered at times that you can take them or we're not going to offer them in a particular semester, that I think is a breach of faith. I mean, if you want to deal with student loan issues, again, it's you start. You commit, you're taking a full, uh, again, a full course load for all your semesters. You should be guaranteed that you'll be getting enough classes and the opportunity to take the classes you need to graduate in four years. Okay, we've got the Week in Review coming up in just a couple minutes. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. It's that time of the week for our Week in Review. I am the thorn between the roses. Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Good morning. Good morning. And Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Hello. Hello. Okay, no, uh, typically we, we live stream this segment on Facebook Live, but I am told because of technical difficulties, no Facebook Live today. And you guys, Aww. you dressed up oh, in your best yeah, outfits fancy. and stuff. I'm, oh. I'm in my, my best Jimmy Buffett shirt here, you know. <laughs> the usual. <laughs> well, this is, this is actually my best Good Jimmy summer. Buffett shirt. Okay. So, you know, it's a different Margaritaville stuff, but we'll allow that to be theater of the mind. Okay, uh, topic number one. It is the national story over the weekend. The New York Times breaks the story that Donald Trump Jr. apparently took a meeting um, with a Russian lawyer. The email setting it up suggests that the... Uh, that there was dirt on Hillary Clinton that was going to be provided by the Russian government. doesn't appear that anything came of this. That is, that there was no dirt that was actually provided. But now there's questions about, did Donald Trump Jr. violate the law? What does this say moving forward? Susie Falk, how big a deal is this? Well, once again, it's a distraction. You know, here I think we've had the show now, what, 20 times this year, and we've talked about, you know, distractions in the Donald Trump's campaign or administration about 18 of those 20 times. Um, it was a very dumb thing to do. It wasn't a criminal act. Um, I, Donald Trump Jr., that he didn't know that that was a dumb thing to do, you can kind of understand. But that Paul Manafort, you know, he's a campaign manager, and he's been in political circles for how many years, that he didn't suggest, did someone vet this meeting, and what are we actually talking about um, and maybe we should report this you know it's one thing if you're doing opposition research and it's coming out of Indiana I think it's another for you know a, someone tied to the to, to the Kremlin saying right. I've got some dirt on you know Hillary right. Clinton right. And, 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 the, and, and the email of course well, making reference it's coming from it, this is information coming from the Soviet government which and, should yeah. have set off all sorts of red but, flags but let's talk about that email I mean the, the, the other thing that that is so disgusting 
disconcerting to me is that they're they seem to be clueless to not realize that email will catch up with you and that there's going to be somewhere in cyberspace a record of that email saying I love it and that that wasn't thought about and you know maybe the, the, the counselor should have said okay we, we're gonna have to do some damage control let's get in front of probably the story. wasn't thinking about it which I you know I get is it, 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 like par for the course for for this campaign and yeah does it look a little sloppy i kind of look at this and go boy what do, what does it change you know yeah we're going to talk about it but there, there was just an article i believe in the wall street journal with glenn growthman they were talking to him and saying in washington we are not talking about this at all mm-hmm. we have health care to deal with we yeah. have tax reform to deal with what is this what is this going to change i know many trump supporters who are like really i mean I would be concerned if he wouldn't have taken that meeting because you're supposed to be doing, um, you know, counter opposition. Uh, yeah, but with, but but with a foreign national. I don't. They, they're they're staged, and I'm and I I'm just playing devil's advocate on this one in terms of saying, sure. their their world is probably a little bit different. They had other ties to people tied to this person with the Miss Universe pageant. I mean, this sounds so unreal but it's real so <laughs> like so it, it is it is so i think the circumstances and i don't think he was trying to hide it it would be weird if he had deleted these emails or if they found out that he was trying to hide this but he came out and said it and but but, he, well, but, 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 but the other was manafort and kushner didn't didn't dis- didn't disclose this meeting they had to they had to revise their disclosure statements so it makes you wonder if they were trying to conceal something sure i i, I wouldn't i wouldn't di- well, discard that but it's still it's still all about donald trump jr and You know, it's one thing to talk about, to to just get right to the heart and say, this is exactly what we talked about. Whoops, we should have reported it. But, you know, this is the fifth, I I think, you know, explanation we've heard. And and it just... It, it is just not credible, and I think that it's once again, you know, it, it's starting to undermine the presidency. And it wasn't just Donald; it was his son, it was his son-in-law, and then this Paul Manafort. And now there was some other Washington person that was in the room. That that but, story is just breaking right now. Who's that person? Well, let's pretend that that Donald Trump comes out and says, you know what? I didn't know about these meetings. What she said—that's what he said. And you know, I'm going to do what's in the best interest of the country, even though Donald Jr. is my family, Jared Kushner is my family. We need to separate this. Let's just say he did that. How, how awesome would that be? And people would still rip on him. They would not forgive him. Right. This would, it would not matter what he does. So I look at this and say, what does this change? I just, I, while, while we're looking for the there, there, I just, I don't know what we're looking for and I don't know what we're going to find. We're trying to prove that Russia interfered right. with the election. Well, and, that, and, that didn't happen. Did. It, I mean, well, at they, least well, from did. this email. Right, right. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question that Russia interfered with the election. Russia was meddling in the election. They, the, the, the question was there was collusion. Was there, was there collusion with the Trump campaign? And I, I don't see that. You know, mm-hmm. you just touched on what I think is one of these other larger issues, though, about the way the Trump administration does business. And that is the the intricate, the tying in of family members to government. And I want to be consistent. You know, back in the 90s, when Bill Clinton put Hillary Clinton in charge of health care, I, I was a huge critic of that because here you have this unelected person who has no independent credentials who you're putting in charge of health care. I thought that was a bad idea. Now it, it seems like you have the president who is running the country like you would run a closely held family business. You're at the G20 conference. You leave. Normally, the Secretary of State takes your place. You have your daughter Daughter. take the place. You know, um, you've got... Again, the, the the role that I still don't know the son-in-law playing. Does he have security clearances? Things like that. Th- does is that 
troubling at all that you have the involvement of the family members to an extent that I think might be unprecedented in, in presidential history? Well, it's, I, I mean, from a standpoint of somebody who supports Donald Trump, I would say that I'm starting to, to think that they're a little bit sloppy and that maybe he needs to maybe come to reality and say, I need to put a little distance between myself, and my family members, you know, maybe take us take a, a step forward and, and run this not just like a big business, but you know, like government, like a country. Where you have separately confirmed constitutionally charged officers who have responsibilities. Like, let's have the Secretary of State sit in instead of my daughter. Right. Yeah, well, and, and I obviously people respect and, and like that he's unconventional, but at some point it's getting, it's just getting a little bit sloppy. Well, that, that's, that's just it. It, it. He doesn't listen to his counselors. He does what he wants to do. Donald Trump Jr. seems to do what he wants to do. And I, I just think there's no discipline in, in the White House. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Right. You know, for the administration to be successful and effective, it needs to kind of button up a chip and and honestly do things, I hate to say it more traditionally, but there are reasons why, you know, our our politicians are the way they are, why our government is the way they are, why there are norms. It's because that's how things get done and that's the appropriate way of doing it. We talk about norms and values a lot and, and Donald Trump seems to not really give does, a crap. Does it, okay, does anything criminal come out of these? No, 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 no. I, I agree. I, I, all week I've been besieged by people. This this is it. It's, you know, it, it, this is some free legal advice from a recovering attorney here. This is, I, I understand there's people who want to see charges and things like that. Th- that's not what this story is right now. But I agree with you both. It's sloppy. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Wisconsin's right to work law and uh, an institution in Wisconsin closes. What does that mean? It's 1143. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1147, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, uh, The Weekend Review, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. I learn, we, we've known each other for years and years. Every time I talk to you guys, I, I learn more and more. Uh, story number two, let, I want to talk about this um, because it, it does, I think it's an interesting comment on the local economy. Brennan's Market, which has been an institution in, in Wisconsin since going back to the 40s, announced earlier this week that they're going to be closing all their stores, including the one in Oconomowoc and the one in Brookfield. Um, 150 people are going to lose their jobs. They simply say that they can't compete in the modern grocery world. You can't compete with the the big box, the retailers. Um, They don't have the economies of scale. Um, What what is, Susie Falk, what is the future of, of grocery shopping in the state? Delivery. I think we're going to all have delivery services, much like my friend Tracy here, who's figured it out. Um, but, you know, you look at what Amazon just did, um, purchasing a, a relatively large um, grocery store. Whole so Foods. That the Whole Foods, so that they have, you know, um, more locations where they can d- distribute the stuff. People are getting Internet savvy. I mean, people are turning to the Internet for most of their consumer purchases. So I think that there will be grocery stores, but I think they're going to be fewer, and I think the strong ones will survive, how about like the and, How about the mom-and-pop grocery stores? I don't think so. Yeah. I really don't think they have a chance. I do think you'll have the, the quick marts, though. I think there's always a need for, you know, the quick trip or whatever on the corner. So if you got to run in and, and bring, you know, potato chips to your friend's house right. to watch a game. so Will there be a role for, like, special, like, like butcher store, butcher shops and things mm-hmm. like that. Will there be a role for that kind of specialty thing? Interestingly, yes, because I, I think while you're looking at all these 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 online models, you're you still 
have that experience, right? Mm-hmm. And as much of an experience as going to the grocery store can be, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you, you know, it, it's an experience. And I think the retailers are smart about it. I mean, there's so much research that goes into what people do at a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, combining that what with what do people do when they're online, mm-hmm. they're going to figure out that model. And, and it's interesting when you look at the footprints, the, f- the floor plans, they're not getting bigger. These mm-hmm. grocery stores aren't getting bigger. Now, there are exceptions, mm-hmm. of course, with the warehouses. But um, it, it is evolving. I mean, you've got your Costco's, you've got mm-hmm. your Target, right? You, you, you go in and you, you buy your buy food supplies. at Target. Well, and, and what so, I think, one of the things that I think has happened is a, a lot of the these larger national chains, the Costco's of the world. Well, I mean, you look at what's going on. You've got the Costco's, you've got you've got Meyer, you've got Woodman's, mm-hmm. you've got Aldi's. You, you know, all these coming into the market. And I think what a lot of them have figured out is. There is a market for some of the higher-end stuff as well. So you take a Brennan's that's specialized in kind of high-end cheeses and fresh produce. Well, now, I mean, some of these other stores that maybe before were concentrating on, on the price point, now they're starting to expand and off. I mean, Sendex has wonderful cheese. To, I, I was mm-hmm. at a beer-tasting thing the other night with Hook's Cheese, which is great cheese made out of Mineral Point. You, you can buy that. You, you can go. You can buy it in specialty cheese stores. You can also buy it in mm-hmm. Sendex. And I think a lot of these smaller chains are just being squeezed out. Bavette's is a great example. I mean, you can go there and have a fabulous meal, or you can go there and, and take home some meat to cook yourself. So I think you know you, that will be a trend. Also, I do believe our stores where you go in to enjoy, you know, dessert or a cheese plate or whatever, you grab your cheese for the weekend, or like Bavette, Bavette's right. with your your steaks. I mean, that's a very interesting concept. I well, think that's the future. Well, and the margins are so low. Right? Right on right. food, it's it's the margins are really low on on most foods. Mm-hmm. So it's where, where do they make their money? Mm-hmm. I will say though, and I said this during the break, is, is seafood online not a good idea? Right. So it's, yes, it's there will course. always be a well, room for the butcher. I, I will tell. Matter of fact, Gene Miller and I were talking about this the other day. I I think the next shoe to drop is going to be liquor stores hmm. because um, for for exactly the same reason with, with the margins that are out there, um, you know the, the big. The big retailers, the you know total wines of, of the world, or the Costco's, they're just able to buy so much liquor that you've got some of the, the small chains or the mom and pop liquor stores. They they just can't compete. You know you can't you you know they, they can buy maybe fifteen cases of Diet Coke. The other place can buy like a hundred sure. or thousand cases of Diet Coke. I, I think that's going to be the the next area where. The, the liquor stores uh, again. I mean, this is this has been an ongoing debate ever since McDonald's came and started, you know, running out the mom and pop diners. But I think it's going to be a. Com- I'm not saying grocery stores are going to go away, but I think it's going to be a completely different dynamic five or ten years from now. Yeah. So, okay, story number three, Susie. This one's for you. <laughs> oh, All right. Uh, <laughs> well, just because, just because Tracy and I go to baseball uh-huh. games. Uh-huh. All right, uh, all right. I like the, little league. It's the it's the story. Uh, it's one of the feel good area stories. The Milwaukee Brewers, who nobody thought were going to do very well this year. Everybody's thinking maybe it's going to be a five hundred season, and it might still turn out to be. But coming out of the All Star break, ninety games into the season, they're in first place in their division. They're ahead by five and a half games. Even you read all the national stuff, nobody thinks the Brewers are for real. Okay, are the Brewers going to make the playoffs, Ms. Falk? Uh, you know, Jeff, I'm, I'm no expert in baseball, but I consulted with two experts, my husband being one. <laughs> your okay? husband is so you're definitely morning, an expert, yes. this morning over coffee, you know, <laughs> we're all groggy. He says, you know, here's the thing. The, the pitching staff is, is not very deep for the Brewers, and in the second half of the season, that becomes very important, supposedly, is how strong your pitchers are. Ooh, so we'll see. Glass half um, full. Glass half full, <laughs> but however, I turned to a second source online, a baseballprospectus.com, yeah. 
and they predict these things, and they're showing the brewers um, are leading the charge, and you know, it's a very good shot that they'll they'll take it. Let's not think about it too much, and I think that's the whole <laughs> the whole thing is that that they they've said that that the culture of this team is that they're they don't even realize how well they're doing that yeah. they're just go go out be great. One game at a time, and they're just kind of ticking through it. Okay, but you are, you are, I am making you be a pundit. So we're marking the tape here. Are they going to make the playoffs yes. or not? Yes, they will. And, and I think some of it has to do with how bad the Cubs are doing now, right? That's true. I mean, it's I'd all agree. strength of competition. I agree. And they're, they don't have the, the injuries. I mean, they're, right. they're a young team. They seem to be getting, the, they, they, they're saying that the money ball has hit earlier than, than they wow. expected. I'm with you. I'm with okay. you. I think they're making the playoffs as well. Okay, but here, here's my challenge to Brewers fans. Uh, as I get up on my soapbox, at ten, okay, this is this is a team. They're playing great baseball. They're five and a half games ahead. Attendance is thirty thousand below where they were last year. They've got like thirty one or thirty two games. Everybody should be the, every game this weekend should be sold out. Mm. You know, people should be spending their money, putting those butts in the seats. This team is playing well, and, and us fans here in Wisconsin, southeast Wisconsin, Milwaukee, we should be rewarding the team. So go out and support the team, but I'm with you guys. Uh, they're making the playoffs. Okay, coming up, we've got the uh, uh, the weekend Review. We're doing the weekend Review. We've got our Right Stuff Awards. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. It's 1154. 11.57, Jeff Wagner. It's the weekend Review. Okay, Right Stuff Award winner, Susie Falk. Lois Quinn, her husband John Pawasarat, and Nicole Young-Todd. Lois and John are retired scientists with VWM's Training Institute who spent years studying workforce training needs and barriers to employment. Their work has shown that a driver's license is a better predictor of someone's ability to to transition to a full-time job than even a high school diploma. Um, because it costs hundreds of dollars to train a teen to drive, the vast majority of Milwaukee's youth in poor neighborhoods don't have a driver's license and can't easily get to jobs. So the research they did helped spark Nicole Young Todd with Milwaukee Youth Services to kick off an initiative to offer free driver's ed to MPS. So MPS students today are getting free driver's ed and going to jobs. Nice. Tracy Johnson. All right, my Right Stuff Awards goes to Waterstone Bank. Um, and the reason for that is they're the main sponsors for the Milwaukee Air and Water Show, which I plan to attend. Um, this is the first time uh, it's back, actually, in two years. Uh, first, they canceled because they didn't have enough funding, and then there was fog, and it's kind of been a, a little bit of a mess. But there's beautiful weather planned. This is g- going to bring over a million dollars in economic impact to the city. There'll be thousands of people at the waterfront, and the Blue Angels are going to be there. That's the first time since 2010, I believe. So I'm really excited. My Right Stuff Award winners, it, it's, it takes off on yours, Tracy, but it goes a little bit bigger. A lot of stuff going on. You've got the South Shore Water Frolics that are going on. You've got Bastille Days. You've got the Air and Water Show. You've got Port Washington Fish Day all going on. You should be at Fish Day, too. All going on. Um, this is a great time to be in southeastern Wisconsin, all these different community things. Get out and enjoy it. The organizers have the right stuff.